0: Greetings and welcome to Poirot, Greatest Detective. I'm Paul McLean.
1: And I'm Helen McLean.
0: And together we fight crime. Or rather, we watch crime. No, that doesn't sound very good. Uh, I mean, we're fans of the ITV series Agatha Christie's Poirot, which starred David Suchet and ran on British TV between 1989 and 2013. So why are we doing a podcast about Poirot?
1: Well, for me, it all started when you took me to the Agatha Christie and archaeology exhibition at the British Museum when you worked there in 2001. And as an archaeologist and fan of crime fiction, it caught my interest. And so after that, I read my first Poirot novel, which, if I recall correctly, was Murder in Mesopotamia.
0: And In the meantime, I spent 20 years podcasting. Not that you necessarily know it, <laughs> but apparently I have. And that's ended up with me being the executive producer for British Museum Podcasts. Yeah which is a rather grand title, but yeah, it's fine.
1: <laughs> so that's enough about us. It's all about Poirot and his little grey cells. So after re-watching the whole of the ITV series during lockdown, we started discussing whether we should do a podcast about it. And so now we are.
0: And it's quite an appropriate time because it now being 2023, as of this first episode, that's 10 years since the last one appeared on TV.
1: Absolutely. So, the first episode of the ITV series is The Adventure of the Clapham Cook.
0: Which I think is interesting, because it's not the first Poirot story that Agatha Christie wrote. No. Is and that The Mysterious Affair at Styles? It was, and
1: which is obviously a novel, so they obviously wanted to start off with a shorter story to see if it was going to work. Because I remember we, we heard David Suchet talk, and he wasn't sure whether he was going to do more than one series ever. Well, that's right, because
0: he went to that talk, and he, he basically said... He, he was never been continuously employed for Poirot. Yeah. He was only ever employed per season, mm-hmm. not knowing if the next season was ever going to occur. Yeah. And from our point of view, it's a really good start because the first season are all relatively short episodes, mm-hmm. Poirot TV series. And it's got that absolutely classic music by Christopher Gunning. The person who adapted it was Clive Exton. Uh, the director was Edward Bennett. So you can read about that online, there's much more detail. But it's really nice that they actually got this going and it started filming, was it 1988? Mm-hmm. And then it was released in January 1989, the very first episode. Excellent. And so I think we've got a plot somewhere. The plot.
1: So at the start of the first episode, Poirot is rather bored. And so Hastings is reading out possible snippets of interest from the newspaper for him. These include a bank theft of £90,000, an apparent suicide and a missing typist, but Poirot just isn't interested in any of them. And Mrs Todd arrives soon after with the case of her missing cook. Poirot at first dismisses it as too trivial for him until Mrs Todd rightly puts him in his place, describing that a loss of a cook is as much as losing pearls to some fine lady. Too proud, eh? Only deal with government secrets and countess's jewels? Well, let me tell you, Mr high and mighty Poirot, a good cook's a good cook. And when you lose one, it's as much to you as pearls out of some fine lady. <laughs> Mother, you are in the right and I am in the wrong. Your remarks are just and intelligent. Poirot and Hastings visit Mrs Todd's house and interview the inhabitants and there they learn that the cook, Miss Dunn, her disappearance may have been planned as her things were packed and her box was corded or tightly fastened and that the paying guest, Mr Simpson, worked at the same bank as where the theft had occurred the previous day. Poirot investigates more lines of inquiry. A newspaper advert for Miss Dunn is placed and interviews at Simpson's bank. Miss Dunn finally replies and Poirot and Hastings travel to Keswick to meet her. Miss Dunn had been met by an Australian lawyer and told of a legacy that she had inherited. And it basically resulted in her having to flit up to Keswick as fast as possible to meet the terms of the uh, supposed inheritance. While Mrs Todd had sent her things, she didn't send her box. This piques Poirot's interest and returning to London, they track down the whereabouts of both the box and Mr Simpson, resolving not only the case of the missing cook, but also a murder no one knew had been committed and the bank theft.
0: Well, it's a good opener. I mean, what I really liked about just watching it. Well, first of all, the opening scene is obviously the uh, kind of antagonist wrapping up giant you know a giant case with ropes and then the second scene actually cuts away to the first shot of poirot and you see his patent leather shoes and his spats and then it just kind of goes up up. (laughs) it pans up and you can see david suchet as poirot which i thought was absolute kind of classic scene to actually have because it Mm -hmm. helps establish some of his particular fastidiousness Mm that he has with that and the kind of cases he takes and you know, what interests him, Yeah, um, I thought was good.
1: because he talks about the things he needs to do about his the, the grease spot on his suit. If I mistake not, there is on my new grey suit the spot of grease. You have noticed it perhaps, eh? Huh? No. No? Well, well, it's only the one spot you understand, but it is sufficient to trouble me. So obviously, you get the very rapid impression, if you don't already know Poirot, that he's very particular about is a period.
0: I mean, it's a really good opening. It establishes that really yeah. early on. I mean, this is not the first time we've watched this DVD oh, no, series. Oh, it's <laughs> You know, because we have the DVDs, because uh, you can't get the Blu-rays in the UK. Oh. So we have to watch the DVD versions. And it's just how good that first episode is at establishing the characters. Yeah. And it's so well put together. It was a really strong opening mm-hmm. episode.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't, I'm not entirely sure why they chose that short story of all of them, but there, as you said, there are some good points in that. They give that like Mrs. Todd putting Poirot in his place because that really gives a sense of what sort of thing he normally does. But actually he is, you know, when he gets his te- the bit between his teeth, he will continue to, to investigate even after he's he's almost dismissed from the case by Mr. (laughs) and Mrs. Todd and he's outraged and wants to continue. Oh, that's right,
0: because Mr. Todd pays him a guinea uh, for consultation when Mm -hmm. they try to cancel his services. And what I liked about that uh, scene that features Mrs. Todd um, is that straight away, and it's actually probably quite rare, that Poirot admits he was wrong. Mm. Why shouldn't he take the case of a domestic...
1: Absolutely. But of course, it turns into something much more than just a missing cook.
0: Yes, it does. That's that's quite fortuitous, really. (laughs) Start off with a really mundane story about a missing cook. And of course, they visit the Todd's house.
1: Yeah, to interview people. And I thought the way that Poirot was showing interviewing Annie, who's the maid, um, was quite interesting because it shows how he flatters the people he's interviewing so that they feel important and they're more likely to give him that information. And one thing I noted in that scene was that she'd obviously been cleaning the spoons and they were all laid out next to Poirot, but they were in a very neat row. I noticed that Because super we just neat- know that if they weren't, he'd have just been distracted and would have... <laughs> them in a neat line unless they were in a neat line because he did it off, mm. off thank government. heaven <laughs>
0: she didn't have two unevenly sized eggs because yeah oh, exactly loose. absolutely <laughs> we get ahead of ourselves yeah,
1: yeah um he's a good listener
0: i think that's what also yeah. comes up from the first episode is he he because sometimes hasting tries to interject and he says oh, later Hastings." yeah so he very much listens to to what people are telling
1: him mm-hmm. absolutely and and i think he's obviously very good at human psychology and just knowing when people are holding back and and you know you see him do that he will probe in the right way to get that information and if he knows he's not going to get it he'll he'll walk away and perhaps revisit it later and you see that throughout the series i think
0: now they go upstairs and, and, it, and there's quite a few stairs in that house. I think that must be a four-storey building. Yeah. It's
1: huge. You're jumping ahead of yourself. I, I am. <laughs> what were you going to say before Well, because me? they then go out to oh, Clapham Park because yes. they've got to wait for an hour for Mr. Todd and the paying guest, Mr. Simpson, to return, But what is revealed um, when they find out about who else lives in the house is that Mr Simpson works at the same bank where the theft has occurred Um, and even Hastings notices that. The name of the bank, (laughs) Oh yes. Partly because he just read it in the paper earlier, but even he... See the eye twitch. (laughs) Gets it, yeah. Um, So that's obviously something of interest to them. But yeah, then they come back, they speak to Mr Todd, who's absolutely no use, he just thinks they should just get another cook and what's the problem?
0: (laughs) So let's revisit the stairs yeah. in this rather large London townhouse, yeah. which must be four stories from it this does, kind of Just It look it from
1: the outside, from the street, that it would have all those stairs. Unless it... Mr.
0: Todd is in the basement somewhere. It's like,
1: <laughs> how many stairs? Because yeah.
0: they're going to the, the top level where the staff and the lodger is.
1: Do you think the staff live on that same level? It looked a bit too smart to me.
0: I, well, I think they did because otherwise it's going to be five storey. If they're like know. the staff in the attic, yeah. there's got to be like a whole series of houses. and Then this giant <laughs> turret. I, don't know. I, I, I suspect that the staff Annie lives mm. next door to the lodger. Right. I suspect.
1: Okay, I mean, what I liked in that scene is that you could see some of the period detail with the light switches.
0: We noticed that. Yeah, they just looked. We made a note sort of, of that. And it says that's a nice light switch. We may get one of those. <laughs>
1: those bakelite style. Wasn't I thought it was
0: a big brass one with one of those flicky knob oh, end. Oh, I thought they switches. were bakelite rather than oh, brass. Right. We, we'll have we'll to. We'll go re-watch. back and watch it again.
1: Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that interview is quite inter- interesting. There's music starts playing, which we'll come back to a bit later in the show. But the thing that we both noticed was that Poirot in that interview asked some very distinct questions and stood very close to Mr Simpson.
0: I picked up on that because I I said while we were watching, I said, why is Poirot standing so close? He's definitely inside his personal space. He's like six inches away. And he's like, why is he getting so close to ask this person these questions? That is explained. All is revealed.
1: Yeah. (laughs) But he also asked some random question about... You know what does he do in the evening? and I was thinking i don't I don't remember that in the uh, in the in the actual short story
0: <laughs> because you've actually read the short yeah, yeah. story that goes along with this mm-hmm. yeah, that it's based on I mean
1: it's quite a f- close following, I guess the introduction of actually of Miss Lemon and having Inspector Jap on screen. He is mentioned in the story but doesn't feature and the endings this correct, but there's a few differences mm. um rather than just wrapping it up in a quick conversation. they actually. Work through the the process, yeah, so after that they they return home and then they start you know doing probably does more research. There's a really funny scene where Hastings is wanting to pop off to the races. And Poirot tells him he can't pop off for anything <laughs> apart from... Because he says, I think he mentions like a friend owns a leg of one of the race horses, And he says you can only pop off when this, he owns all four <laughs> <laughs> or something. So he gets Miss Lemon to put an article in the newspaper for the cook uh, to see if she will get into contact with them. And then poor Hastings is tasked with rigging all the domestic servant agencies oh, that he no. could find. And all, his,
0: all of them in London.
1: Yeah, his face in that scene is an absolute Absolutely. picture.
0: I mean, fantastic yeah. acting there by Hugh Fraser. I mean, yeah. it really was excellent. Yeah. He's such a good foil. They've got such a good cast. Yeah. And particularly in these early episodes, because you've got Poirot, you've got Captain Hastings and Miss Lemon. They're almost like a little family. Yeah. Aren't they? And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and it really carries And I miss them in the later series. Yeah, when, I, they're,
1: when they're not there. I
0: understand the reasons by way of production of why that occurred, but actually watching on TV saying, but, mm. but where's Captain Hastings? Where's Miss Lemon? And it's like these really ones, a really good cohesive yeah. start. Yeah. And then I recall the bank scene because this is where we actually see Inspector Jap. First name, James, if you're on the trivia, mm-hmm. James Jap. <laughs> And he surely he'd be a Jimmy, a Jimmy Chap. There, there are some later episodes where this actually comes yeah. up in conversation. But um, he's interviewing uh, Inspector Chap is interviewing Mister Simpson. Yeah, and you know about this particular investigation.
1: Yeah, does he know the clerk who that yes. they think has stolen the money?
0: And then Mister Simpson, the lodger,
1: perfectly innocent lodger,
0: and then looks over Jap's shoulder and sees Poirot. He said, oh, that chap. that's the one who talked yeah. to me earlier. And then I didn't, I've forgotten at this point. I didn't know whether Jap knew Poirot mm-hmm. or whether it's like, you mean that? Cause he, it sounds like he doesn't. He made it sound like I don't, you know. And then he goes over and talks to Poirot and obviously they, they know each other very well. Yeah,
1: they're old well. friends, yeah. After the reward, eh, Poirot? Oh, no, 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 no. No, I am engaged on quite a different case. And what would this different case be then? Ah, oh, well, now there is such a thing as client confidentiality, Chief Inspector. I mean, Poirot's in the bank because he is just—he's doing some due diligence on Mister Simpson. He's—he's he's obviously got. He does the legwork. suspicions, work. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or well, the very
0: small footwork, if you like. Off you goes, <laughs> you? We could do a whole special episodes on the characterization of Poirot by David Suchet. You really good.
1: Yeah, so they they do that, and then there's a few scenes of Poirot just waiting to hear from Miss Dunn, the cook, and asking if there's messages, looking wistfully at the telephone, until finally Miss Lemon comes in. Um, Although, actually, while they're waiting, Hastings is reading letters, and there is a letter from a duchess, which normally, at the start of the episode, I think is the sort of case that Poirot would have bitten the hand off. Yes. But he obviously has decided, no, I'm doing this one. I'm cracking on everything else. Forget it.
0: He's got the bit between his teeth. I mean, this is what interests him. It's interesting cases Mm -hmm. more than high profile cases Mm. in that sense. But now he won't let this go because now he wants to know, he wants to solve it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Uh,
0: Miss Lemon comes in with a letter.
1: Yes. So this is from uh, Miss Dunn. She is writing from Keswick, or Keswick, as Poirot pronounces it initially. Oh, <laughs> well, why not? Um, saying that she's already received her legacy, so but thanks for inquiring anyway.
0: And this is news to everyone, what legacy, yeah. and that she's at Fell Cottage yes. in Keswick. So. Yeah.
1: They go on a trip. They do,
0: and they actually visit her mm-hmm. at. I mean, she's there. There is yeah. Eliza Dunn at this, Bell Cottage.
1: This is one of the differences to the short story because oh, in right. the short story, she turns up at Poirot's oh. and and they have the interview. <laughs> there. I wonder why
0: they did that. I wonder if it's like we all like a jolly in Yorkshire or something, I, or wherever it was I, I, filmed.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess it would make more sense for her to write rather than schlep down from Keswick to back down to yes. London just to go and see them when she could just write a letter. But yeah, and I guess it also makes the the timings a bit more dramatic because when Poirot like slots everything into place, he's not in London.
0: I mean, there's a lovely scene when they're on the way to Keswick and Fell Cottage, mm-hmm. and the, the steam train that they're on is is coming yeah. along a train track, and it's beautiful. And then they've actually put some period people kind of fell walking, yeah. which they didn't have to do. No, not at but, all. But the production team says, we'll have a couple of people in yeah. 1930s gear kind of walking towards camera as the train goes by. Yeah, yeah. And this is also the part, I do have a tendency to get ahead of myself. So sorry <laughs> if we skip back and forward a little bit. But it's another great establishing piece with Poirot about how urbane he is. Mm. And he complains about the countryside. And In fact, here's the clip.
1: Just fill your lungs with that air. No, my poor friend. This sort of air is intended for birds and little furry things. The lungs of Hercule Poirot demand something more substantial. The good air of the town.
0: That's (laughs) what you need, the good air of the town.
1: Breathe in, breathe out. (coughs) And that that just shows some of how Poirot always does speak. It's the good air of the town, not the good town air. And I think that's... One of those characterisations that that Agatha Christie was so good at. So you re- he really has a strong voice. I
0: mean, by this point, because all of the TV series are set essentially
1: eh, vague
0: mid nineteen thirties to late nineteen thirties, and that's again for production reasons. Since he arrived at the mysterious affair at Styles around then, that's basically arrived in the UK and Britain
1: during World War One. During he, during was, he World was a War refugee. One, a
0: refugee. So he's already been in Britain for 20 years but he still has that speech Mm -hmm. pattern
1: yeah and there's a there's a couple of points in the episode where actually Hastings corrects what he says because he's got the phrase just ever so slightly off I don't think
0: he minds I think probably they're used to that
1: yeah and I I get the impression maybe sometimes Poirot does it on purpose so (laughs) Hastings can do it (laughs) maybe I don't know (laughs) so they find Miss Dunn
0: yes she's at her cottage Poirot says, "Will your mistress, or ever, you know, uh, allow you to speak to us?" He says, "Oh no, I've inherited. Yeah, I've inherited this cottage along with a sum of money, and you know, it's my own now. So I now live here." And they go in and they start to interview. I mean, again, the graciousness, the politeness of the way that Poirot interviews mm-hmm. suspects essentially mm. um, is is very well done. He's very calm. He's very collected. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's really you know and you've got this kind of contrast with Hastings who sometimes tries to interject.
1: Yeah, and you can see it all on his face when he's shocked by <laughs> something.
0: I mean, really having Hastings there is a really good foil. Yeah. Because absolutely. sometimes Hastings is like the everyman who will ask the questions that some you know, if you haven't been quite up to speed with the plot, yeah. then he helps out he, yeah. for that exposition.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and we learned from Miss Dunn that there was this Australian, this bearded Australian lawyer, and she's inherited this amount. She'd left a note for her employer because one of the other stipulations was not only did she have to be at the cottage by a certain time, but that she wasn't allowed to be in domestic service to inherit. How inconvenient. Which would be a bit weird. And they they show the... In- back about- a flashback to the interview. Oh, yes. Uh, to the to the Australian lawyer, and he's like, Oh, but uh, luckily it's not an issue for you, but I just need to check that you're not in domestic service. And she gets all upset and, Oh, no, I'm a cook, and what can for I this do? This
0: really strange and unusual stipulation yeah. and legacy.
1: How specific? Oh, no. <laughs>
0: and you must only have one leg. What? Yeah. No. That's no, just domestic yeah. service. And. Oh, did point out, even in the opening of that particular scene, I said, you know, the makeup department, have they deliberately done a bad job of making yeah, this guy look yeah. like an Australian yeah. with a beard who looks... Oh, a
1: bit like Rolf Harris.
0: Looked a bit like Rolf Harris. A little bit. In 1989. And Different with an Australian times. accent. Yeah. And, and I thought, it looks really bad. Looks like a really false beard. Yeah. said, Maybe they just dropped the ball. No. Yeah, of course they not were they really didn't.
1: clever. Yeah. So, yeah, so, but she, so she'd so she left a letter with this lawyer to be given to her former employer. And now she said, oh, it was a bit strange because she sent me my things, but she sent them just wrapped in paper. She didn't send me my box. And that's the point at which everything seems to click into place mm. for Poirot. And the
0: box is a large oh, travel trunk. I mean, yeah. Very yeah, large, absolutely. imposing travel trunk, which we saw in the very opening scene yeah. being bound by rope.
1: Mm-hmm there's one of those great conversations between Poirot and Hastings and Hastings, you know, asking, well, why, if you wanted a box, why didn't he just buy a new one? And it's because he wanted an old and weathered one. He could have put one secondhand, maybe, I don't, I don't know. He wanted um, one
0: that, for some reason, espoused authority, like, uh, you wouldn't bother opening this, it's obviously Yeah, important.
1: yeah. But there's that great scene on the train where Poirot's explaining it and he goes, because he wanted this. And, and Hastings is just like, oh, yes. And you can see his brain <laughs> literally ticking over
0: the cogs are turning before he but goes little, oh slowly
1: because of this so again that example of him explaining yeah. to the audience and then
0: the, the final bit of that scene is just a, a shot of david Suchet's face Poirot's face he's just <laughs> smiling this beatific <laughs> smile it's, it's dawn of realization on hastings face like
1: oh, oh. And then as they're changing trains at uh, Carlisle, there's a, a lovely bit where Poirot's on the phone and he's trying to get this message through to Scotland Yard to Jap and the train's about to leave and Hastings literally tracks him out of the phone box.
0: no. there's a a lot established in this first episode and what I really liked about that phone box scene is it was a good way of adding some balance saying well obviously Hastings isn't as quick as Poirot who is
1: mentally quick mentally
0: quick (laughs) yes it shows the partnership there because he literally almost grabs him by the collar to rush him because the throw him on the train literally leaving (laughs) and if if Hastings hadn't done that, yeah. Poirot would have missed the train and this was a point of urgency, that's mm. why he's on the phone Absolutely. and it would be even worse if he hadn't got on the train yeah. so Hastings has his, his heroic moments, yeah. these bits where he's absolutely a core essential part because he saves Poirot yeah. in, in a sense from time to time doing that
1: Absolutely, yeah The rest of the episode is all stuff that's essentially in the story is just wrapped up in dialogue, just oh and then this and then we did we caught this and then that but actually what they do in this is they show them tracking down where the box is and they have this interview with this brilliant porter, at, which was the train station Twickenham, mm. um, who's remembered all the detail and spotted in the...
0: That's played by Danny Webb.
1: Yeah, yeah, in the the money saying, oh, he's going to Bolivia because I saw the word and Hastings is like, well, how do you know that? He's like, well, it said Bolivia on the banknotes. Bank And so they they track down that the trunk had been sent on to Glasgow. So Jap eventually gets the police there to open it and they find... A body! And yeah, so he's obviously been murdered, stashed in this box and sent on. (laughs) Meanwhile... There's a
0: shot of the body. This poor actor has had to climb into into this case. (laughs) Uh,
1: Meanwhile, Poirot, Miss Lemon and Hastings are looking for ships to um well not to bolivia as hastings thinks, which is so funny and the other thing in that scene that i really like is when they're talking about the place names is miss lemon just said something like oh don't they all sound lovely what lovely names for places <laughs> which i thought was quite of course nice.
0: series on hastings goes to south america
1: he does yeah yeah in the future It was back
0: with the crocodile but never mind anyway <laughs>
1: um so yeah so they rifle through this massive newspaper and find it and then they finish the episode with this dash to the port in Southampton I think to track down where Mr Simpson is.
0: Oh because I think he's on the Royal Netherlands Mm. the um, SS Navonia but actually oh
1: no he's not going anywhere. All all those ships have been (laughs) cancelled. Oh no so where
0: would they go? Well they go on the Queen of Heaven which is just over there on the other side. Which
1: is actually not going to Bolivia but to somewhere in Venezuela. Yeah so that's where he was going and Poirot sees him and shouts his name out and obviously Simpson He, he turns and looks and uh, they manage to grab him.
0: Yeah, the the two handy um people on the docks there just goomph, you're not going anywhere. In
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> the time when you say, Stop that man
0: And some people there go, Yes, we will. Well not some people, they obviously yeah. worked there, but yeah.
1: And I think they capture him. I think that's one of the other differences in the story. I think in the short story he's caught on the Olympia on it making his way to New York, but he'd oh. actually already left and yes. was on his on his way but obviously we couldn't see poirot turning up on a little tugboat <laughs> we just didn't have the budget red-handed. for the early series didn't have the budget it's all very
0: creative
1: so yeah so that's uh the bulk of the episode yeah
0: but the kind of the denouement scene is actually we're back in Florin court i said Florin court that's the actual name of the place <laughs> i meant Whitehaven mansions of yeah we will visit Foreign Court yeah. one day. Whitehaven Mansions where Poirot lives, that wonderful Art Deco 1930s mm-hmm. building. And he's actually having a, a framed... The cheque is being yeah. framed on the wall mm-hmm. that was sent to him by Mr. Todd. Yeah. And, you know, it's for his uh, one guinea. And you can actually see the date yeah. on that cheque. Yeah. Which is the 11th of July, 1935. Yeah. So that gives
1: us a date. Yes. Now, that leads us to a bit of a discrepancy that we, uh, we no, noticed. No, really? Yes. Um, so, I think we read somewhere that, that, according to one of the newspapers, it was in November... We
0: we free framed it. It Yeah, and we did check that, and the
1: times they check the um, sailing times on is November nineteen thirty five, but I was saying it can't be November because they were in the park at five o'clock at Clapham, waiting for Mister Todd to come back from work at six o'clock, and it was broad daylight. So it wouldn't be at that time. No, it would have been dark. I was like that that can't be right and of course it's not right it is July and it's just they were using a particular prop that somebody happens as spot.
0: because they weren't expecting people to like rewatch yeah. it obsessively <laughs> freeze frame <laughs> zoom in 34 to
1: 96 all
0: <laughs> <laughs> Blade Runner and it's like no <laughs> they'll never notice we did we noticed 30 years later so um, yeah but no I think they did a really good job I mean yeah. oh, it definitely yeah. had that period feel they yeah. did a very good job on getting that production.
1: and I think the other reason they may have chosen that episode is that it starts out thinking it's quite a mundane investigation and actually it is so much more it is something else and and as I said in, in my description a murder nobody even knew had been committed No, um, because they think that Simpson had lured him away to you know so that he would get the blame and then of course he's disappeared and it's because he's killed him off essentially
0: really really good episode
1: yeah I recognise
0: that chap. Yeah, we've got a little bit of the show called I Recognise That Chap. (laughs) And this is like famous faces or people who may become famous later. Yeah,
1: I think particularly in the later episodes, there's a lot more budding actors who then go on to bigger and better things. But...
0: And there were a couple that I recognised. I mean, there's no science to this or logic or reason. It's just people we just recognise on the TV show as being in other things.
1: There's that man from that thing.
0: (laughs) Yes, there's that man from that thing is the alternative for this (laughs) section. I recognised that chap. And that chap, well, the first one was actually Mrs. Todd, that's played by Bridget Forsyth. So she, I mean, the people I've said, well, I've seen her in a few things. And you go onto IMDb and that's why you recognise them because they have been in so many things. Yeah. So Bridget Forsyth, a well-known actress. Um, she has been in, well, she was in Unforgotten which we've watched, so mm-hmm. she's been in that, Hollyoaks, EastEnders, <laughs> Doctors, Midsummer Murders. I mean, the list goes on and on and yeah. on. In fact, I, mean, I, I think, think I seem to say it says Doctor Who 1963. Wow. Wow, so original year Doctor yeah. Who as well.
1: I mean, I think that's the case with a lot of the actors who are in Poirot throughout have been in a lot of TV shows, and they might only have been in one or two as a guest star, like in this. But there are just so many familiar faces throughout the entire run of it. And I guess it's one of those things like the Casualty or the Bill that, or Doctor Who even that everybody's sort of been in. Um, but she was in um, Whatever Happened to the Likely Lads, yes. I think, which I remember watching repeats of with my dad. Must have been in the 80s uh, or maybe even early 90s. And then most recently she was in Still Open All Hours.
0: Oh, which is a follow on from Open All. Yeah, Those.
1: which I've never really watched so I don't know who she played, but she was you know, in classic that. British TV series. Yeah, yeah. Comedy series. Mm-hmm.
0: So and then the other actor I recognised was Danny Webb, who played the train station porter, who said, "Oh, I recognise the Bolivian yeah. banknotes."
1: He was a great character. He's not in the short story. No, at all, it's really but I, good. I loved his sass. He, he
0: really was <laughs> good. Yeah, and and again, the way because he, he came off quite sassy, but Poirot dealt with him very oh, well. Yeah, in fact, yeah. he kind of shut Hastings down. No, no, yeah. no. You know, this is an excellent gentleman, a very clever yeah, gentleman. Yeah. You know, so he buttered him up to get that information. Because normally, mm. and this is the point where Poirot is going to have to bribe him. Yeah. Yeah, to get yeah. this information out. But he didn't. No. He just, the way he talked to him and it kind of softened him up and he, you know, he wants to give that information mm. to show, yes, I am clever. Really well done. But yeah, Danny Webb, he was in, I think the first thing, Alien 3? Yeah. Or as you call it, Alien Cubed. Cubed. (laughs) He was in Alien Cubed. And again, a list as long as your arm. Endeavour with the British T V series. He was in The Dig, the film we watched, which set suddenly. He's in
1: another episode of Poirot in about Is he? uh, butch later on.
0: Wow. I mean again the list goes on. So he's one of those faces from British TV Mm. that you just see again and again and again. And there you are in the first broadcast episode of Poirot so I'm literally scrolling down the IMDB list he was in Sherlock he was in Being Human he's just been in everything he's been, I yeah I mean we could spend half an hour just reading out the credits <laughs> list of some of these uh, actors but you know they, they turn up in yeah. there and it's right and, in. The and,
1: I, and I think that's the same for all the other actors in the episode they're all regular faces of UK TV mm. um, and that possibly brings that sort of comforting feel to the series that, that, as a whole which is why I think people love it so much
0: I mean the whole span of Agatha Christie's Poirot with David Suchet spans essentially a quarter of a century, yeah. and that's a lot of time. You know, you can grow actors. Mm. <laughs> you can grow <laughs> actors during that time, so it's like uh, really nice to kind of have that kind of progression go on, mm-hmm. and new actors come in, and new faces come in, yeah. as you say. And we will have more of that on future episodes. A trivial matter. I know we've covered trivia throughout most of the show anyway, but we thought it'd be a good idea to actually have a separate section for anything we've missed uh, that didn't actually fit in. So we do have this little section here of various arcane nitpicky bits and pieces, or just, you know, nice things things. or interesting tidbits.
1: One of the things that we didn't cover was that when Poirot and Hastings, after they've worked their way up the many flights of stairs in the the Clapham house, uh, which is on something like 88 Prince Albert Road, which doesn't actually exist in Clapham. There is a Prince Albert Road or Prince Albert Street, whatever it is, but it's in north, uh, north-west London. Oh, right. But when they get outside Mr Simpson's room, they actually start playing some quite dramatic music to sort of... I don't know if it's almost giving you the hint that he is a person of interest. And we haven't really talked about Mr Simpson as a baddie. a As, a baddie, as no. the... As the uh, the bad guy and I don't know what you thought about that because it's quite an elaborate plot it is that he's I mean, come up with to this is d- something
0: you talk about why didn't you just go out and buy a case somewhere else yeah. and I think the interesting point is that's why it's a Poirot story yeah. he doesn't take the mundane though interestingly this was supposed to be mundane yeah and didn't so in a way I I like to think it's not quite the same case as Sherlock Holmes with Dr Watson where Dr Watson is the one writing up the journals Mm. and Hastings isn't writing up the journals although is is he?
1: the short stories are written by Hastings Ah. they're oh this happened when I was living with Poirot so he is the Watson yeah he is exactly the Watson he is is the Watson okay
0: (laughs) So you've got that. I mean, that um, isn't
1: true for all of them, but for this, a lot of the short stories that she wrote for, for magazines, they're, they're written and they're told by Hastings. So you don't see Hastings being quite as dim in them because obviously he's not going to <laughs> show himself that, that way. Yeah.
0: But um, there, are, there are a couple of things. I mean, the trivia section, I'm, I'm going to call it And Anything Else. Yeah. In fact, that might be a better name for the section. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Um, is the bits we didn't discuss earlier. And one bit, um, so this is the catch-all. And that is when Poirot is in the kitchen interviewing Annie and she just goes, who do you think he could be? Who's taken it?" She goes, white slavers.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <And> even, <laughs>
0: title of episode.
1: And even when Poirot points out that her box was already packed, she was like, well, she'd want her things with her. <laughs> Even if she's in exotic uh, clothes. <laughs>
0: of course, standards.
1: <laughs> Even if she's being kidnapped, she'd still want her things.
0: <laughs> and then the other bit with Annie that I thought was really funny is when Poirot does return to the house and there's police there, Jap's already there and he can't get in, he gets shouted off by Mrs. Todd. And so he, he basically goes round the back. Yeah. And then he sees Annie in the kitchen because he wants to talk to her further about mm. the luggage. And I thought... You know how many people say a Belgian detective turn up at the kitchen yeah. window for <laughs> an This is a bit unusual. <laughs> Thankfully, it's Hercule Poirot, yeah. who is well established in society at this time. People yeah. know who he is, so he's not new. Yeah. To the but case. they
1: they use that scene when the police officer opens the door and he refers to him as some French fella, uh, which obviously Poirot hates. And I, th- I think we see that again and again. It's event, a running theme. I'm Belgium, <laughs> Sarge. There's
0: some French gent at the door. No, 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 no. I am not some French gent. I am some Belgian gent. Yeah. Definitely Belgian. Mm-hmm. So that just that's sort in of a surreal. Percure Poirot turns up at the back kitchen window <laughs> and starts to talk to you.
1: And she says au revoir to so it finds it hilarious. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, absolutely. It yeah. was... I must say, it's it's. Oh, I really, really enjoyed yeah, yeah. that. Should we go on to a conclusion? Well, my only last thing oh, I wanted
1: on. to raise is I've been keeping a tally for some of the common phrases. So it is in this very first episode that we do get that first mention of little grey cells from Poirot. The little grey cells are not working today, eh? Huh? They take a little vacance, eh? Huh? Bray! And there are not one but two. Good heavens from Hastings. We're going to have to keep a tally. I am keeping a tally, don't you worry. Good heavens. Great.
0: (laughs) Really good first episode. Let's go into conclusion. So we may conclude. Right, that's it for the end of our first episode. I think it's, hopefully it's gone okay. If you've made it this far... Thank, Thank you. you for listening.
1: <laughs> the next episode may have been tweaked slightly. We'll see how we go. <laughs> yeah, we really we we are. Yeah.
0: <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Thank you for joining us. If you want more details about the show, Poirot, Greatest Detective, then you can visit greatestdetective.com.
1: So I hope you can join us next time for a little bit more Poirot and his little grey cells.
0: Till then, au revoir.
1: Au revoir. Au revoir.
0: A podcast from Thin King Productions.